Well, welcome everyone. It's so good to see you all here today. I'm Scott Stevens, and I am the counseling pastor here at Pendleton Street. And uh, it is my honor to be preaching today. We're in the fourth week of Advent, and it's important that we remember some of the things that we've spoken of over the past few weeks. The word Advent is Latin, and it means coming or arriving. And it refers to the coming or arriving of Jesus as Messiah to the world. And Christians are to use these four Sundays to prepare for Christmas. We're to remember its real meaning, which is the coming of Jesus. And because of Christ, we are a new people. Through his sinless life and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been delivered from our alienation from God and we've been freed from our slavery to sin, and we've been redeemed as children of God. We are awaiting the last advent, and that's the time when Christ will return. Luke 9.90, or 19.10, I'm sorry, states that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We are at, were at enmity, with God because of the sin of Adam but because of Jesus sacrifice we are now at peace with God so the four candles of the advent wreath represent the four weeks of the advent season last week we lighted the third candle which represents joy the advent wreath has one more candle to be lighted and that's the center candle which is the Christ candle and that will be lighted next Sunday at a celebration the day after Christmas the fourth candle, which was lighted today, is the candle that signifies love. So the, fast port, or the past three Sundays, we've been using Romans 5, 1 through 11 as our main scripture reference. And we'll do so again this week. And this passage has been perfect because it discusses the hope that we have in Jesus the peace that we have because of Jesus' sacrifice and the joy that we experience because of the relationship that Jesus repaired for us with God. This week we'll talk about the love that we're shown and the love that we have because Jesus helped us to have that right relationship with God. Verse 7 and 8 in this passage help us to understand the depth of of love that God has for us and I'll, I'll speak that again for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us so as we consider a biblical perspective of love, we see the wonderful example that God showed us, the love that God has for us. And in Paul's message to the Romans, we see that God's love is different from the way that man loves. It's, it's much different from anything that we're able to do on our own. As a matter of fact, that God, God has love for us despite us. We haven't done anything to deserve God's love. And yet, he still gives it to us freely. 
Oswald Chambers writes that holiness is the foundation of God's love. And then R.C. Sproul, another commentator and theologian that I love, writes that God alone is holy in himself. And the word holy is used as a synonym for his deity and calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is a holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. And his spirit is holy spirit. Everything about God exudes holiness. Theologian John Frame defines God's love as his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. God's love is distinctly a relationship between two persons. His love for us is between us and him. Our love for others is between us and another. But this definition also shows us that God's love includes both affection and action, feelings and deeds. Some, as, some of the aspects of God's love that we experience are his compassion. We always feel his compassion, his pity, his mercy, his grace, his tenderness, and his kindness. All of these things are examples of God's ongoing love for us. Now John Frame goes on to explain that God's love is usually viewed in three ways. First, there's the benevolence of God. God wills good to his creatures from eternity. From the beginning of time, he wills good to us. There's also the beneficence of God. And this is where he does good to his creatures in his own time according to his good will. And then there's the complacency of God, which is an odd term, but it's that he delights in his creatures on account of the rays of image, of his image that he sees in them. He created us in his image. Another way to look at this is by degrees. So the first degree of his love is that we become his children. The second degree of his love is he's redeemed us and he sanctified us. And in that third degree of his love, he views us and rewards us as holy because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. God loved us first, showing us benevolence and beneficence. And then he continues to love, show love for us because of his work in us, which includes our response to him in obedience. So in our passage for this Advent series, we read that God loves us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now this verse goes on to explain the difference between God's love and our love. It states that in our inability to love, we might, or our limited ability to love, we might die for someone we consider righteous or someone we deem as worthy. But God's love is so magnificent and so different that he died for the unworthy and for the unlovely. God's love is perfect, and Scripture tells us that we know how to love because God first showed us love. And this passage that I'm getting ready to read is just a little bit long, but I think it gives us a clear explanation of God's love for us. So in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and I've got this behind us too. Let's read this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Think about that. Whoever is able to love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's how we know love. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We have love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What a wonderful passage to help us to understand where love comes from. And how we can exhibit God to another. And we have the Holy Spirit that gives us that ability to be able to love one another and to love God. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us shows us the depth 
of love that God has for us. Now think about this. No matter how bad a person is, no matter how much evil he has done in his life, if he's willing to lift his head and ask for forgiveness, accepting what Jesus has done for him by dying on the cross, if he gives his life over to the Lord and changes his ways, he will be forgiven and reconciled with God. Praise the Lord for this. And we have the Holy Spirit that helps us to do this. He gives us the power to become that person that we need to become. Because man is blinded by sin, though, God has done just a bit more for us. And we've talked about this just a second ago. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us that ability to be able to come to the Lord. When the sinner repents and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts and gives him the ability to be able to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. The Spirit gives him the ability to love others, to have peace, to have joy, to have patience, to have faithfulness, all of the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us the ability to be able to do that. He gives believers the tools necessary to become more like Jesus every day. But Jesus himself gives us clear direction in our responsibility to love God and others throughout the scriptures. Perhaps the best known passage is the one that he gives clear direction in Matthew 22. Now, just to set it up a little bit, this is where a lawyer who is a Pharisee asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, Just as an aside, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were both religious sects within Judaism, and they were considered experts of the law or Jewish scripture. The Sadducees were the chief priests and high priests, and their locus of power was usually in the temple. And then the Pharisees mostly controlled the synagogues. They were very influential in their interpretation of the scriptures. And because of this, they created hundreds of extra instructions and stipulations based on how they interpreted God's law. These two sects, although they were mostly adversarial, came together when a cause affected them both. And in this case, both sects had determined to do something about Jesus. Jesus had just entered Jerusalem. He had cleared out the temple, and he had begun teaching the people. In his teaching, the Pharisees and the Sadducees began asking him questions in order to trick him into saying something that would condemn him, that he would condemn himself. But 
be aware that in Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was actually talking to all of the crowd at the same time. And as he's speaking, he's teaching the essential truths of the Christian faith. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And notice, too, that the heart, the soul, I said might, but it's actually mind, heart, soul, mind are mentioned in a way that shows that these are not separate or different parts of a person, but they're different ways of emphasizing the whole of somebody. So if we're to love the Lord, we're to love him with everything that we are. One commentator mentions that the three nouns together indicate the essential nature of man, that his ultimate fundamental loyalty is what he shows. It's not just a superficial allegiance. So Jesus told these leaders that the most important thing of all of the laws, even the laws that they created themselves, is to love God first and to love other people second. Now, in this, we see that love is foundational to living as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's part of who we need to be. It's part of of who we are as followers of Jesus. In another passage, John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus tells us, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's pretty clear. We love one another here in this church, and as we show love for one another, We show others that we're disciples, we're followers of Jesus Christ. When we show love out into the community, as we're showing love to those those people that we don't know, we're showing who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. But notice in this passage, too, that Jesus declares a new commandment that I give you. Loving one another is so important that Jesus makes this statement, a new commandment I give you. So if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we are to love one another to the extent that when people see us, they know without a doubt that we are followers of Jesus Christ. As we trust God, as we humble ourselves before him, as well as before other people, he will enable us to care for others from the heart. And that's what this love is all about. We are to love just as Jesus loves us. Jesus loved us because it was in his character to love. He was a loving person. His followers are to be loving people too. Scripture is clear that God's love is central to every aspect of our Christian life. 
Loving other people is, defi- is a defining mark of someone who knows and has experienced the love of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Most of you know this as the love passages. We hear it in weddings. We read it whenever, whenever we have something to do with a, a, a wedding or honeymoon. But this passage describes many of the ways that God shows love for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It do, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in, on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. You know, we as humans tend to use the term love very freely. We love the things that we believe are valuable or worth our love. And and these are usually people or things that we have some sort of an affinity for. Um, We say that we love our home. We love our car. We love Clemson. We love our sports teams. We love our television shows. The people that we show love for are usually friends or family with whom we have something in common. It's easy to love people who have a pleasant disposition or are intelligent or are talented in some way. We, it's easy to, to look at them with some sort of a, of, of a fondness. But it's a little bit harder to love Aunt Jane who smells like mothballs and is constantly yelling and screaming and criticizing other people. Our love is fickle. We can fall out of love just as easily as we fall in love. And that's with things and that's with people. But God's calling us to a different type of love. Listen to how love is explained by Paul in the first verses of 1 Corinthians 13. He starts it off by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have y'all, can you all imagine that? That noisy gong or that clanging cymbal? That, that thing that's just irritable. You can have all the greatest things in the world, but if you don't have love, it's like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. This man's talking about, I have the ability to have the faith to move mountains, but if I don't love you, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Do you see how important love is? Jesus talked about it. 
Paul's talked about it. In verse 8, here's another thing. Paul, or another, another comment that Paul makes. Paul writes that love never ends. And then in verse 13 he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, in counseling, I usually have the opportunity to talk with a number of young people, couples who have been married for only a few years. And sadly, in many of these cases, these couples come back in and, and they say that love has lost the, uh, left their marriage. They've lost the love in their marriage. And I ask them why. I ask them, well, tell me about the love that you've experienced. Tell me, tell me what, how you define love. And usually they say, well, I don't feel the same way that I felt when I first got married. And I've, I've heard again and again, well, he doesn't make me feel the way that I deserve to, be, to, to feel. He doesn't love me the way that I deserve to be loved. Or she doesn't make me feel special anymore. You see how temperamental, how fickle love is with that definition. How we as mankind love is completely different from God's love for us. 1 John 4, 19 tells us that the only reason that we know how to love is because God first loved us. Now what does that mean? We need to emulate God's love for us with other people. Love, although we confuse it with feelings, is actually action. Because God showed us in the Bible how he loves his people, we have a clear understanding of how we can love other people, love others. The list of the ways that we love another is, is, are listed in 1 Corinthians that we just Read, but that's not normal for natural man. I mean, think about that. When, when we are looking at love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, that's not natural to us because it, exactly the opposite is what's natural to us. We envy, we boast, we're selfish. The love that the world has to offer is a limited love when we love without the help of the Holy Spirit we have a love that is competing with our own self love think about what I said before he doesn't love me the way I deserve to be loved so my love for my wife not you honey my love for my wife doesn't meet the love that she thinks that she deserves. There's a self-love there. One of my professors writes that the, the way that we show love to another person indicates what is happening in our own soul. And I really believe this. What is currently happening with our relationship with God if we are showing the qualities of love that we, sh we see in 1 Corinthians, we are wholeheartedly trusting in God's ability to be able to enable us to love.
But if we're not doing that, then there's something wrong with our relationship. And we need to look at that. If we notice that we're being selfish, if we know that we're being self-centered, if we recognize this in our responses to other people, it's not our relationship with that other person that's a problem. It's our relationship with God. Because it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to love the way that we need to love. So we need to focus back and go, God, help me. Give me the ability to be able to love the way that this person deserves to be loved. So we're to emulate God's love. But that's impossible for us to do without his help. God's love is a perfect love. God loves us so much that while we were still sinners, he gave us his son so that we can have eternal life. Wow. Another good example of how we're to love, and and husbands, you need to remember this. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificing for them. Now, husbands, even though that we're directly told to do this, everyone should know that love is sacrificing and putting that other person before yourself. Let's talk about Matthew 22 once again and and discuss the phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great commandment. And the second is like, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've heard some counselors, I've heard some people say that there are three commandments here. Love God, love others, love yourself. These people teach that you cannot love other people sufficiently unless you love yourself first. And there's a lot of self-help books out there that will tell you the same thing, that you love and you care for yourself so you can enable yourself to love and care for other people. And one of the questions they ask is, well, how can you care for another person if you don't meet your own needs first? But here in this passage, Jesus is assuming that you, your nature is already oriented toward loving and caring for yourself first. And that's what he's telling you not to do. He's not telling you to love yourself. He's telling you that you already know how to love yourself, so use that as a standard. He's also telling you that you love yourself too much. He's telling you to look inward and love others more than you already love yourself. So, We're to love our neighbors sacrificially. Even to the point that we would love them and care for them as we would care for our own selves. Interestingly, the category of neighbor includes those who are our enemy. People we don't like. People that have shown that they don't like us and maybe are adversarial to us there's another verse Luke 6 27 through 36 Jesus explains more about this and this is the relationship that we're to have with those people that we consider our enemies 
He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, there's some verses in there that are a little bit hard to understand. And, and of course, I want people to know, if you're in a situation where you're being abused, and you're, you don't, don't stay in that situation. I don't want to say that. But there's a way that you can respond that shows love to another person you don't stay in an abusive situation and and be be a physically abusive situation and take that type of physical abuse but there is a way that you can still show love and help working work through that particular circumstance and care for them but the points of this particular verse are to show that even to the extent that this person is an enemy, we're showing that enemy love. And that's the point we're trying to make. According to this pastor, uh, passage here, though, we cannot justify any reason not to love another person. Yet it's easier to love only those people that love us. And we're told to love those people who are hateful to us. It's a hard thing to understand. But in this passage, we're given clear ways to love someone, and someone, even if they're an enemy. We can bless those who curse us. We can pray for those who abuse us. We can be generous instead of returning affliction. We can treat them as if we would want to be treated. And finally, be merciful, just as God has been merciful to us. Matthew five forty three forty eight says, "You have heard it said, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father, who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust." For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you not even, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, 
I've mentioned before that the Bible is our source for inspiration and guidance. It teaches us how to live a life that glorifies God. So in the Bible, there are over 59 occurrences in the New Testament alone that teaches us how to relate to one another. And 16 of those, we're told how to love one another. Love forms the basis for all true Christian community. And Romans 12, 5 tells us that we, though many, are one body body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I pray that we continue to practice love for one another and we spread that love to everyone as we move into a new community on the West End. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much for your mercy, for your goodness, and for your love. You've shown us how to love. Help us to show that same love to other people. Give us that ability to be able to do that. Father, I pray that our hearts are are open and we're receptive to, to moving into our new community on the West End in a way that shows others that we belong to you and we want them to join us. Father, we love you. We praise you. We want to build your kingdom. In Jesus' holy name, amen.